You see, we think when we don't forgive, we're putting someone in jail to pay for their crimes. Forgiveness is taking the key of forgiveness and opening the jail cell and setting that prisoner free. And do you know what happens when that prisoner goes free? This prisoner gets free as well. The prisoner that's released by forgiveness is you. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Last week, we heard the story of Dave and Ann Wilson. Dave, a college football Hall of Famer and chaplain for the Detroit Lions, shared the devastation that he experienced on his 10th wedding anniversary when Ann, embittered by Dave's busy work schedule, announced that her feelings for him were gone. In the message, Pastor Trent taught us how to biblically handle the wrong that's done against us. He also encouraged us to seek forgiveness for our own failures first. Today, we'll hear the rest of Dave and Ann's story and learn how we can overcome hurt in our relationships just as they did. So turn now to Matthew chapter 18 as we conclude the message, The Matter of the Hurt. Here's Pastor Trent. Here's the second point. Forgive the hurt coming to you. So we're going to have to switch the direction of the hurt around right now. What do you do when you have been the recipient of hurt? Your spouse, husband, wife, mother, father, former spouse has hurt you. What is your option? Let's look at it here, beginning in verse 21. And then Peter came up to him and said, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then Peter supplies his answer to his own question. He says, as many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Other translations say 70 times seven. The point is this. Why don't you stop counting the offenses and start concentrating on the forgiveness? So, Jesus wants to drive that point home. He tells a little story, beginning in verse 23. He says this, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So I want you to imagine a king and the king has decided that it's time to collect on all the debts of all the people that owe him. So he calls in a servant who owes him six billion dollars. That's the equivalent. Look at it here in verse 24. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. As best we can tell, the modern day equivalent is six billion dollars. Astronomical amount. That servant could never pay back what he owed. But it goes on in verse 24 and it says, he began to settle, uh, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had to make payment for his debt. This guy can't pay. He knows he can't pay. But what does he say? He says, I, I, I will work on it. I, I will 
be patient with me. I'll pay you all that I owe. That's what he says in verse 26. He says, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of the pity for him, the master of the servant released him. Underline the word released in verse 27. And forgave him the debt. Now think about the application. Who is the king? It's God. You and I are the servant. And you and I have racked up an incredible debt before God. And do you know what the figure $6 billion is supposed to represent? An insurmountable debt that you and I could never pay. But we're just like the servant. You know what we do? We say, I'll work harder. I mean, I'll be nice to the kids next week and I'll read my Bible and I'll bring my family to church and I'll work hard to pay off the debt. That is religion. And it will never be enough to pay off the debt that you owe this holy God. The point of the story is God is so holy and we are so sinful that every time we sin, we are putting ourselves in a deficit position before the King of kings and Lord of lords. And what is the only response when you are hit with the reality of that debt? It is to do what this servant did, is to fall down and get as low as you can and understand how high this king is. For every Christian in here, you remember the time when you were faced with the reality that you were going to be called to account for the debts that you have racked up against your king. You remember feeling the weight of that on your heart. You remember thinking about this account, if it's not settled, you know what's awaiting me? Judgment, eternal, conscious, torment, in hell, away from God. And we begin to feel the weight of that debt. And so we got as low as we could and threw ourselves on the mercy of the king. Look at what happens in the story. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him of that debt. If you have never understood that you owe a debt that you will never be able to pay, and that the only way you can be in right relationship with God is if God calls you out of pity for you into his presence and releases you from that debt and forgives that debt, then you have never become a Christian if you've never felt the weight of that. You say, I just kind of always assume I'm a Christian. No, there is a point at which you feel the debt that you owe God. And then you empty yourself and throw yourself on his mercy. Now, if you have felt that, you need to understand that is the key to forgiving others. Look at the rest of the story. But when the same servant went out, he, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. As best we can tell, the modern day equivalent, $12,000. Now, is $12,000 a lot of money? That's real money. That, that's a real debt. Let's find out what happens to this second guy that owed him $12,000. So the fellow servant, at the end of verse 28, he seized him and began choking him, saying, pay what you owe. 
This servant goes out and demands payment of a guy that owed him a measly, quote unquote, $12,000. The only way that it could be categorized measly is because of what just happened in this guy's life. This was a real debt. It really hurt. But he should have seen it for less than what it was because of the debt for, from which he had been forgiven. Verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Sound familiar? He says to this guy the same thing that this guy said to the king, but he got a different response. Verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. You see, back in those days, somebody that owed you a lot of money, if they didn't pay up when it was time, you could take that person, sell them into slavery until they had worked off their debt along with their wife and their children. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to the master all that he had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. Underline the word jailers in verse 34. Until he should pay all his debt. Notice the last verse. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There's nothing you can do to prevent your heart from getting hurt. There is something you can do to prevent your heart from getting hard. What is it? Forgive. What is the motivation for forgiveness? There's two motivations. First of all, it's what God has done for us. The scripture puts it this way in Colossians chapter two. And you who were dead in trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of what? the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Legally, God could have thrown us in hell and been perfectly just in doing it. But because of his grace and because of his love, he has canceled the record of debt that stood against us. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Do you understand that until you are brought to your knees with the incredible grace of God, you will never have the fuel that you need to forgive others. You see, until I, I am brought to my knees with the holiness of God and the mercy of God on this sinner, Andrea will pay for every sin she commits against me. I will demand her to pay. But when I understand that God did not require me to pay, I can't require her to pay. 
Paul put it this way in Romans chapter eight. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You know what he's saying? How can you bring up charges against your husband or your wife when God has justified you? Do you understand? If you can't get over what your husband or wife has done to you, it's evident that you have gotten over what Jesus has done for you. The more amazed that you are that God has forgiven you, the more power you have to forgive your husband or your wife. We're not giving you little tricks and tips and techniques for marriage around here. We're doing the same thing here that we do every Sunday morning. We remind you of the gospel of the grace of God. And then you apply it to every area and every relationship that you have. You say, Trent, you don't know what somebody did to me. You're right. I don't know what they did to you. But I do know what you did to Jesus. And I do know what God did for you. Now, what was that complaint you had? Let me tell you what we're not talking about. Forgiveness is not pretending that you have not been hurt. Some of you have been mistreated. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have been sinned against in in horrific ways. We're not talking about pretending that didn't happen. It's a real hurt. It's a real debt. We're not talking about neglecting God's justice. In Romans chapter 12, Paul tells us, do not avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You know why God is not bringing justice in that relationship? You're in the way. Get out of the way and leave room for God to do what God only can do and change that person. So don't pretend that it didn't exist. Some of you have had crimes committed against you. You know what you need to do? Forgive them and then have them arrested because that would be justice. You you may need to forgive them and you need to call the police and then make the second call to the elders of this church and allow church discipline to kick in. Don't pretend like it didn't happen. Just follow the right steps. Forgiveness is not enabling a person to continue their sin. That's what loving confrontation is all about. Love calls a person to repent and be everything that God wants them to be. And we're not talking about forgetting. You ever heard that statement, forgive and forget? The stupidest statement that's ever been made. You can't forget. If there was some emotional trauma or physical trauma that happened to you, you're going to remember that the rest of your life. You say, well, God tells us that he forgets all our sins. No, he doesn't. God doesn't forget. He chooses to remember them against us no more. He buries them in the deepest sea. He separates them as far as the east is from the west. But it's impossible for God to forget. He's got a perfect memory. So what do you do when you forgive? Some of you were sinned against 30 years ago. You remember it every day. You know what you have to do every time you remember it? Every time you remember it, you have to forgive. 
That's what it means. 70 times seven, 77 times. Perfect forgiveness. Every time you remember it, forgive, not forget. Forgiveness is, by definition, a choice to set my offender free from the debt that he or she owes me. It cancels the record of debt. It says you no longer have to pay. I absorb the damage the way that God absorbed my sin in Jesus on the cross so I could be reconciled to God. Forgiveness is a vertical transaction. I've had people come up to me. They'll come up to me and say, Trent, I just want you to know, I forgive you. You know what they're saying? Trent, you hurt me. I've been really mad at you. I think you're a jerk. But I'm going to be the bigger person. And I have forgiven you. Listen, if the person hasn't sought your forgiveness, if the person hasn't repented, you need to go to God and say, God, I go on record, I choose to forgive. I'm not going to hold this against them. I'm not going to require payment. I cancel the penalty. I pay the price. I absorb the damage. I choose to forgive. And I'm getting out of the way, and you can take care of what I cannot take care of. It's a vertical transaction. It's unforgiveness is the sin you commit against God vertically when you're so upset that you can't forgive the sin that another person's had against you horizontally. Forgiveness is an act of worship and obedience. It is glorying in the cross. It is humbling yourself under the grace of God in its obeying. Listen, this is Christianity 101, folks. This is what we do because we are Christians. And if you're not doing this, I have every right to call into question whether or not you are really a Christian. Finally, forgiveness is the first step toward rebuilding trust. Forgiving someone does not automatically mean you reconcile the relationship. It doesn't automatically mean that you trust the person that's hurt you. You see, it takes two people to reconcile. It takes one person to forgive and one person to repent. If both do their job, now we can have reconciliation. Forgiveness happens at a point in time. Trust is rebuilt through a process of consistent behavior over time. You see, it's a formula. C, B over T equals T. Consistent behavior over time equals trust. And that's built over time. So what are we talking about? You say, Trent, man, this is hard. I don't know if I want to do this. I, I just, I'll just forget it. No, you have to forgive. You see, there's another motivation. I told you there were two. The first motivation is what God has done for you. Here's the second motivation. If you haven't been motivated so far, not only what God has done for you, but if you don't forgive, you need to be reminded of what God will do to you. Even though you're a Christian, even though you're a child of God, even though you're a recipient of God's grace, at times God has to chasten us, discipline his children. 
Parents ever given your children a timeout? Yeah. You know what God does? If you won't forgive, notice verse 34. He says, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. You see, we think when we don't forgive, we're putting someone in jail to pay for their crimes. Do you know what's actually happened? You're putting them in jail, but you have to go be the warden in the prison and you get to live in jail too. You're both in prison. Forgiveness is taking the key of forgiveness and opening the jail cell and setting that prisoner free. And do you know what happens when that prisoner goes free? This prisoner gets free as well. The prisoner that's released by forgiveness is you. There's only two options. You will either forgive or you will become bitter. You say, I'm not bitter. I don't even think about that person anymore. No, you've got a deeper level of bitterness. You've gotten so bitter, you've wished that person out of existence. You've murdered them in your heart. And that's the deepest level of bitterness. It's indifference, it's resentment, it's holding a grudge, and it's wishing them out of existence. So, how do you get set free? You choose to fully forgive, canceling the record of debt that stands against you. Well, we better find out how Dave and Ann got through this mess, right? Dave, I really have lost my feelings for you. I'm sitting there stunned. Like, what? I knew that that killed him. And I was at a point where I didn't even know what else to say to him. And so when he asked me to tell him what I meant by that, I just said, I feel like you're never home. I feel like you're not engaged with me. I feel like you're not engaged with the boys. I immediately went defensive. I was like, I'm gonna reach in the back seat, pull out my little day, day planner, my calendar, and prove to her She's wrong. I have been home. I can show you. And right as I was turning like this, I sensed the Spirit of God. Don't grab that planner. Don't say a word. Listen. Just shut up and listen. And so I shared with him how at first I was really angry, and then I was really bitter, and then my bitterness turned to resentment, and then after a while, I didn't even care that he was gone. I again sensed from God's spirit to my spirit, one word, and the word was repent. All of a sudden he's like, honey, I just have to do something first. And I'm thinking, do something? What, well, you're gonna go somewhere? You're gonna, what are you gonna do? God was saying, if you wanna get this right, this horizontal husband-wife relationship right, this needs to be right, the vertical relationship between God and myself. And so, he, like you should have seen this. He turns around in our Honda, and he's on, I don't even know how he did it. He's on his knees on the floor of this Honda with the steering wheel in his back. And um, he starts to pray out loud. God, 
I repent. I'm too busy. I'm lukewarm. I know what you think of lukewarm uh, Christians, and I want to be right with you. And I repent of my sin. And I want to be the husband, and I want to be the dad you called me to be, to be the dad that I preach, the dad that I know, and the husband I know what the word says, and I'm not living it. I'm saying it, but I'm not doing it. I'm a hypocrite. And I don't want to be a hypocrite anymore. I want to love her like she deserves, and I want to love my kids like they deserve. And I'm not doing it. And I ask you to give me the power to be the man you called me to be. The amazing thing is when I saw him do that, um, it, oh, it just broke my heart. God was saying to me, Ann Wilson, you have been trying to get your happiness for the last six months from your husband. And I never made him, I never equipped him to fill all your needs. I am the only one who can meet all of your needs. And that thought alone spurred me on to get on my knees. And for me, it was a moment of repentance too. As we prayed on our 10 year anniversary and sort of resubmitted our marriage back to Christ, as, as, as I'm sitting here 20 years later, I can tell you that moment changed our marriage. It did, it really did. It was like, if, if this is gonna work, this has to be in place. That night became a moment of spiritual awakening for both of us. It was a night of rededicating our hearts to God, our hearts to Jesus, and rededicating our marriage to Him and asking Him to come in to heal us, to give us wisdom to know how to go on from here and really to change our hearts. And He did that. I wanna give you an opportunity to do exactly what Dave and Ann did that day. Number one, to listen to the voice of God, to understand the incredible, grace that is available to those who will repent and believe. And then to turn that justification outward to your spouse and fully forgive as Christ has forgiven you. This could be a moment when God could change the direction of your life and your marriage. Understand this, that if you haven't gotten the vertical right, you're wasting your time on the horizontal. And so this could even be a moment when you, for the first time, repent of your sin, understanding the debt that you are under and what you owe that you could never pay. There's a prison awaiting you called hell unless you experience the forgiveness and the grace available to those who will repent and believe in the work that Christ did on that cross. Understanding the forgiveness available to us through Jesus Christ is the key element in our ability to extend forgiveness to others. And as we heard from Pastor Trent Griffith, there are no enduring relationships without it. Well, we're so glad that you've been with us today. And by the way, we love to hear from our listeners. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Pastor Trent Griffith and Resonate, let us know. Send your comments or a prayer request. You can email us at 
resonate at harvestgranger.org. We'd also like to invite you to join us for one of our weekend worship services at one of our two campuses in Granger, Indiana and St. Joseph, Michigan. For service times and campus locations, visit us online at harvestgranger.org. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.